one. And listen, hello at home. I don't know which one. Hello at home. Both homes, both cameras. Hello at home. Um, it's really good to have you with us. Um, enjoy the morning. I hope you've sent your children into the other room <laughs> or whatever you have to do. <laughs> Go make the tea. Very good. Okay, look, we are in the Word of God, and this is moving on up Sunday. This is, everyone gets to move up. Now, I don't know about you, I, I do live firmly in academic years. Um, so I said this earlier, that it's partly because we're breeding children. And, you know, I could see on people's faces that they thought I was making an announcement. Not making an announcement. Should have gone with past tense. But because we've got a family, you know, we're very much into school years. Because I work in schools as a lot of the time, I'm in school years. So this definitely feels like a new beginning. So September is everything as good as January, minus we're not so tired because we haven't stayed up all night to celebrate that we've suddenly come into September. But, you know, is that like for you? Do you feel like this is a new beginning? Or is it, Helen, it's just another month. Get over it. How are you with new beginnings? Like them, loathe them. So when I was at school, so this is true confessions now, when I was at school, um, you know, I wasn't the best pupil in the world. Some might be really surprised to know that. Um, I talked too much. Um, But um, we used to have this thing... I like the fact that a couple of people laughed and go, yeah, we can really believe that. Um, We used to have this thing. At the beginning of a school year, we would get a new rough book. It was called a rough book. It was like this. We would get a new rough book. Now, nowadays, you get in your fancy planners because parents have to remortgage to get them. Um, But we used to get rough books, and they are... It's okay. We've only had to remortgage three times every year. Um, These... (laughs) Joke. These were the, like, rough books. Okay, now, these would journey with us for the whole year. And they would come, and they would be... I just used to get really excited by getting my rough book, okay? So they would have, like, this clean pages all the way throughout. Just, like... Like, there's so much potential. Everything is just clean. This one would have annoyed me because it's a slight bend, um, but I think that's because I threw it at Steph earlier. Um, By mistake, it was spontaneous, unplanned, and nearly wounded her. Um, But anyway, so we had this rough book, and I used to love it. And I would write my name on it, and it would all go wrong from there on in. Because as soon as I wrote my name on it, it would no longer be neat and tidy. I'd write it in the wrong place or I'd then smudge it with my hand. And then I'd get to the first page and it was always really nerve-wracking with the first page, how you actually write on it. Like, where are you going to put the date? Where are you going to put, like, the subject or the class? Do you have to put the teacher? Like, it was, I wanted it to look really, really good. And honestly, by week one, this is where I threw it at Steph before, I'm not going to do it. By week one, it was rubbish. It's like, oh, it doesn't look neat anymore. I wanted it to be really nice because I like new things. I like things to kind of look nice and new. And as soon as I got my hands on it, it was just all a little bit messed up. I don't know if any of you um, can connect. Now, there's some things that we can do for the second time round that is almost as good as the new time round. So for example, If you're going on holiday, I love holidays. It is my calling. If you ever want to invest in my calling, please help me. Um, But I love holidays. And when you go back to a favorite place where you've been before, so it's a new holiday, but in an old place, but the expectation is so increased because you know it's going to be amazing. I love that. But there are some things that, you know, the second time in, not so good, not so good. For example, some of you will immediately understand what I say, but first contraction of second labor. Not so good. Not so good because you suddenly remember, oh my gosh, I've done this before. It hurts. 
It doesn't, if you haven't had children yet and you're planning them, it's fine, it's just a breeze. Um, but there's this point, there's this point where sometimes going into something for the second time, it's like, no, I don't want to do it. And other times it's like, yes, I can't wait to do that again. Now, this series that we're in for this month, and we're in this series not because, oh, we just fancy a new series, fancy getting a new logo thing going on, a little bit of a message going on. This series is because we felt as an SLT, the Lord invited us into this space with intentionality and purpose that he wants us to go on a journey. And it is a journey discovering what it is to become rebuilders because he is our restorer. Now, let's talk buildings for a few moments. Anyone like building sites? Let me just tell you something about my husband, okay? Um, if you don't know, this is him here, Tim. His head will be beginning to go red when I embarrass him. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'll stick more or less to what I said before. Anyway, Tim loves building sites like it's a thing. He really likes building sites. Now, he's not, you know in the building site. And if he ever got into the building site, he would probably be, you know, sent off, you know, and arrested. Um, but it's one of the reasons, one of the reasons we want to extend the building is just to make him happy. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. But when we do, you see every photo, he'll be in the back of the photos with his hard hat on going, you know, because he's so happy. Now we go to the gym. I tell you that just in case you can't tell, but we go to the gym regularly. And when we drive back, if Tim is driving back home, you know, from the gym, we get, we go down, you know, as if down the road. That's what you do when you drive. Down the road towards the ring road and to, heading towards Clarendon Road. And there's a building site. Okay, there's a building site. We go past it every day. And as I'm driving on my own, in which case I go completely the other way. Um, how long has this building site been a building site? About six months. About six months. What are they building? <laughs> Notice how that his voice is going, it's a 26 story, it's a 26 story. When, he's all excited, I wish we could have the cameras at the front, he's all like, when is this building site complete, my love? A couple of years, it's like two years, and oh, look at the building. As we go past, Tim utterly loves building, because buildings, love me, buildings represent something that is coming that is new, it's exciting, there's advancement, there's adventure, noise and mess and dust, but sometimes rebuilding, not so favourite. So Tim loves being like Jesus in all aspects of life, including carpentry. So he loves making things with wood because it takes him closer to Jesus. But if you break something that he's made with wood and he has to remake it slightly, temporarily, just shifts away from Jesus momentarily, then comes back, <laughs> then comes back in. So we have, we, you know, we have our furniture, a lot of our furniture, um, you know, okay, oh, or other good stores, um, flat pack arrangements, you know. And so we've created chests of drawers from flat pack arrangements. Now, one of the things, this is a weakness, I do confess my own weaknesses now, not just his. One of my preferences, especially when the kids were younger, and especially in another house that we had, was rearranging the furniture. Because that, to me, you just get a new room then. If you've rearranged the furniture, it's fun. And we had this great lounge before that was, and we have a great lounge now, but We've got a corner safe. You can't move it. Like, how many corners are there? Um, so, you know, I used to move the furniture. Tim would come back, and he'd be like, oh, it's a different arrangement now. And me and 
our eldest at the time, who was our only one at the time, you know, go, yeah, look what we've done. You know, it was a great sport. But what we've did recently, a couple of years ago, our daughters, of which we have two, decided they were going to swap rooms. Now, it was a planned activity that was going to happen maybe six months down the road, but one of them, I won't name her, um, <clears throat> she suddenly decided now is the day. And the other daughter realized it was the day because her sister's stuff was all in her bedroom. And it was like, oh, I've got to get my stuff out. Anyway, we had this chest of drawers. And at this point, because speed was of the essence before murder happened, we had to just move this chest of drawers. Now, the tip is, empty your chest of drawers before you move it. We were in speed. We, you know... We had emotions to manage. We just, we just said, we're just going to move this sucker out now before you kill her. Um, so we moved this, but this chest of drawers did not like being moved, was not on wheels, was not happy. You can feel the pain of the chest of drawers. Imagine Tim's delight. You know when you made this chest of drawers the first time, you get to make it again because we broke it. There is something about rebuilding that is insanely painful that but I've made this already. Why do I have to make it again? Because you've broken it. And often I think if we look at the world and we look at the mess it is in, we often say, well, you made the mess, you fix it. But yet there is something in the Father heart of God that says, you've made a mess, I will fix it. And this story runs from the very beginning of Genesis all the way through to the end of the Bible in Revelation. We have this a father heart of God being revealed page after page after page. You've made the mess. I'm going to fix it. You've made the mess. I'm going to fix it. And the amazing thing is he invites us into his fixing it team. He invites us into being part of his rebuilder's team. Not because Helen's just going to drag the chest of drawers in front of you and you're going <laughs> to fix it, but because there's something in his heart that he wants to align with us. Now, we get the clues right back in the, the book of Genesis. So in Genesis, where the narration of how the world was created, how it all began, how God spoke and it was, you hear the lines and or read the lines, unless it's an audio Bible, then you can hear it. You read the lines of, you know, God created male and female in his image. He created them. We are created in the image of God. Now there's a um, an Old Testament scholar, and he said he's Terence Fr I can't say his surname, Frytheme? I don't know, I just Terence. Let's call him Terry. Um, Terry said this: human beings are therefore not only created in the image of God. In other words, this is who they are. They are also created to be the image of God. In other words, what they do. And there is a commission that the Lord wants us to grab hold of as Wellspring Church, as a family, a collective of believers, is to be part of the being and doing, the in his purpose, to be, to represent, to be part of his rebuilder's heart. But it's not always simple or straightforward for us. We're going to jump into the scripture that is the pivot point for this series over this whole month of September. And this is the book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah literally sits right in the middle of the Bible. And it is the prophetic word that in so many ways grabs hold of the Old Testament and pushes into the New Testament because it's bringing the rich history of the story that God's people had gone through and what God is revealing himself. And it begins to paint the picture of Jesus in even clearer ways than I've had before. So as we read these incredible lines, we hear Jesus 
We hear Jesus, and this is where I'm really grateful for where I've been born in the timeline so we don't miss it as much as I think I would if I was back in that day. Now, one of the things, before we get into Isaiah 57, um, there's a fantastic book um, that a guy, what's he called? He's called Pete. Pete. He's not, that's a different Pete. Pete Hughes, Pete Hughes, great book called All Things New. And in his book, he was writing, he said this, you have to be in the story to live out the story. You have to live in the story to live out the story. And one of the things I want us to capture as much as we can as we go through Isaiah here is to say, okay, how can we live in this in order to live this out? Okay, Isaiah, it's going to come up on the screens while I'm reading one verse prior to what's on the screen. So Isaiah 57 verse 14 says this, God says, rebuild the road, clear away the rocks and stones so my people can return from captivity. Verse 15, here we go. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. For I will not fight against you forever. I will not always be angry. If I were, all people would pass away, all the souls I have made. I was angry, so I punished these greedy people. I withdrew from them, but they kept going on their own stubborn way. I have seen what they do, but I will heal them anyway. I will lead them. I will comfort those who mourn, bringing words of praise to their lips. May they have abundant peace, both near and far, says the Lord who heals them. What a passage. What a passage. Now, I will say that there's one little bit in the NLT, which is what I read, that I think is just, oh, I think an extra word would be really helpful here. But here we have this descriptive of the Father God sitting in the high and lofty places, And yet, so in the verse, it says this, I live in the high and holy place. Now it needs here an and or a but as an also with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. In other words, we have a God who is in the high and lofty places, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. He's amazing. He rules and reigns. And yet, because of Jesus, yet he came right down into the mess, right down to be with us. And this is the beauty of what we get to experience now. Yes, God in the high and lofty places, but also with us when we go to our new year group at school, also with us when we go to work, also with us when we are at home, also with us in our lowly places. This is the God we know and serve. This is the one who loves us. And did you catch when he said, I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. This is what the Lord wants to do, to restore those who feel crushed, to give courage to those who don't feel they have it. This is his gift to us as a church, to restore us when we feel crushed, to give us courage. Courage for what? Courage to do what he's called us to do, to be who he's called us to be, to be distinct in the places he positions us 
courage to be the salt and the light, to stand out, not blend in. Courage to be in the image and the image of God where he positions us. And it's not always easy, is it, to be that person where he's positioning us. It's not always easy to do the things he's asking you to do. But yet the restorer who is calling us into this amazing journey to go closer and closer to him together wants to give us the courage to do what he's called us to do. The Lord says, I have seen what they do, but heal them anyway. Seen what you've done. I've heard what you've thought. I've seen what happened behind closed doors in your home. I heard that thought when you were driving your car. I saw what went on in those moments. That were, oh, what am I doing? Just continue, says Shagan. I will continue. This is what the Lord is saying. I've seen what you've done and I'm healing you anyway bit like the sound. I hear what you're doing, but I'm going to do it anyway. Keep going because the Lord is healing us anyway. And I love the fact that he says, I will lead them and comfort them, bringing praise to their lips, giving peace both near and far, near and far. There's an eternal peace, an eternal joy, an eternal, you know, reality, but yet there's also something much nearer, now peace. We can have now peace, not just then peace, but now peace. This is the gift from the Father. The one who restores is to give us now peace. We have to be in the story to be able to live out the story. I want you to jump with me to one of the Gospels. We could have picked on, you know, any Gospels because the Gospels are where we really see the life of Jesus played out for his earthly ministry. But in Luke's Gospel, there's this beautiful moment. We're just going to... I'm going to read you a few scriptures really just to get to one line so that you can um, have a little challenge for the day. So what was going on was Jesus, this is the early stages of his ministry, and he went into um, the synagogue in order to um, worship, as was the custom. But he was handed a scroll and he stood up and he effectively did a, a brief preach from the scriptures. So in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, you can read this from verse 17. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. So he was handed this scroll. Um, He unrolled the scroll and found the place. So with intentionality, he found the bit he wanted to say. And he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free and the time of the Lord's favor has come. In other words, I'm come to be the restorer. I'm called to be the restorer. I'm here to restore. My job is restoration. It goes on. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intensely. I love that. Love that. So he rolls up the scroll and he sat down. I've said what I came to say. And everybody is looking intensely at Jesus. 
Now play this forward, and we know because we've got the rest of the Gospels we can read, Jesus went to the cross, he was killed on the cross, he died, he was buried, three days later he rose again. He then spent a period of time with his disciples and his followers, encouraging them, saying, da-da, see, told you I would. And he had this amazing time with his disciples, and then he left his disciples to return to heaven, saying his Holy Spirit would come. And we know because the Scriptures tell us he then sat down at the right hand of the Father. So here he sat down in the synagogue, now he sits down at the right hand of the Father. The thing though, the people in the synagogue, all eyes looked intensely on Jesus. And here's the challenge. We need to be ones who look intentionally and intensely on Jesus. We need to look intently into the eyes of Jesus. We need to look intently at the life of of Jesus. We need to look intently at the stories of Jesus. We need to look intently at the purposes and plans and provision of Jesus. We need to be in the story of Jesus so that we can live out the story of Jesus because that is what we're called to do. We're called to be people who live out of the story, but unless we're living in the story, we can't live it out because unless we're living in the story, what we're living out is just our own story. It's just me, my truth, and myself. This is my truth. We're not called to live out my truth. I'm not called to live out my truth, not devaluing my experiences and your experiences, but we're not called to live out that. We're called to live out the truth of Jesus. So we need to look intensely at Jesus, live intentionally in Jesus in order to live out for Jesus. So how do we do that when we are so distracted? I I personally, I love Oh, I love that sound. I'm, from the rest of the sentence, I'm just going to sound like I need help immediately. I regularly read the news. So I love reading the news. That sounds wrong, doesn't it? Um, but I read the news m- most days, every day, sometimes twice a day. And, you know, every now and then, if there's something really interesting, I'll follow it on later. I have Google Alerts send certain news headlines to an inbox of my email just so I don't miss out on certain types of news. I'm not going to say the words of what I look at the news. Um, but anyway... Um, I have the different story for another day. Um, I have these, you know, a tendency, I want to know what's going on in the news. But if I approach the world through the eyes of just watching the news, I'm in trouble because I'm living in the news story rather than Jesus's story. And if I live out the news story, I'm going to be very afraid. I'm going to be very angry. I'm going to be very critical. I'm going to be very negative. I'm not going to be able to see the good things in life. I'm not going to be able to say thank you to anyone. I'm not going to be able to celebrate any good news because that isn't typically in the news. So I have to live in Jesus's story then from Jesus's story, I can look at the news and I can interpret the news through Jesus's story. And then I can have my response to the news from Jesus' story. Is this making sense? Now, one of the challenges for us, and let's be honest, and I don't have time to unpack all of my issues in front of you, but I can give you a list that's way longer than any of your lists for this. The problem is for a lot of us is we get stuck in our heads, not in this story. So we have narratives that play in our heads, that play out through our behavior that play out and influence our words because there's narratives going on in our heads and we can spiral around issues. We can catastrophize issues. We can dress rehearse catastrophes really easily. We can have um, whole discussions with ourselves about somebody else that they have nothing aware, no awareness of. I point at you as a guy, I do this to you all the time, Um, but no awareness of because it's all in our heads. It's like, well, I didn't say that, but, but you did in my head. We get stuck in our heads. And the problem with with being stuck in our heads is we get lost 
from the story of Jesus. My friends, we need to get out of our heads. Now, I'm not saying don't think. We, we absolutely must be critical thinkers. We absolutely must engage our brains. We've been given our brains for a reason. But we don't get stuck in that. We live in the Word of God, in what He says, in the truth He says, and then allow that to shape our thinking. Somewhere in the Bible, Maggie's going to tell you the reference in just a minute. It says, take thoughts captive, every single thought captive, submit it to Jesus. And it is? Told you. Why have any Google, just have a Magdi. Um, so, you know, just, just for, for most issues, in fairness. Um, but, but, you know, we have to take our thoughts captive and submit them to Jesus and then say, Jesus, speak to me. Tell me, is this a good thought? Is this in line with you? Right, we need to come inland. I'm, I'm aware of the timing. You'll be good to know that, especially if you've got a timer oven. We have an opportunity this month to journey with Jesus like we've never done before. Fresh ways, deeper ways, more authentically, more intentionally, to look at Jesus intently, to fall in love with him and fall in love with his story and get ourselves into the story. You know, just think about Jesus for a moment from the stories. Jesus, the one who saw the blind people and let them see again. Who saw the little man who was looking intently at him through a tree and restored him back into the community because he enabled the thief tax collector that Zacchaeus was to pay back and he restored him. He's the, Jesus is the one who, you know, saw the woman who'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years 12 years, and yet he saw her and called her daughter and healed her. The Old Testament has stories of how God would take people who had run out of all resources. Cost of living had escalated to such a degree they were down to their last little droplet of oil, and yet in that economic crisis, they were able to know a ridiculous provision that was hilariously abundant and every day they had everything they needed. When we live in the God story, in Jesus's story, we do not need to be afraid of anything because we know he provided for them in the desert, he can provide for us in Watford or wherever you live, put your own postcode. Because if you just think, I don't live in Watford now, I'm stuffed. No, the point is when we're in God's story, we live out of God's story. You do not need to be afraid of what the doctor would say. You do not need to be afraid of the challenge at work. You do not need to be afraid of the economic crisis. You do not even need to be afraid of whichever one of them is going to be in power on soon. We don't need to be afraid of that. Why? Because we're in this story. In this story. I look for musical people. Don't stand unless you're on the team. <laughs> because for all I know, you're all musical and you go, oh, this is my moment. You're doing really well today. Not that you don't every day, but like, because you do, you're really brilliant. But something about there's an anointing on you today and you're playing, just saying, just, you know, just, you know, that's for free. Babs, take your time. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's fine. If you look that cool, you can walk slow. Do you know what I mean? He loves me. We have an opportunity, family, 
to fall in love with Jesus? Do you want to? Do you want to shift your focus out of your head onto Jesus? Onto Jesus. No, just come across, just walk across, you're fine. I told them now, oh, she's going round. She's too polite, she's going to come that way. Pointed her out anyway. Should we all give her applause? No, we won't. We won't, because it's about Jesus. Shh, look that way. Jesus really loves us. He wants us to be part of his rebuilding team. But he will not rush that. He will not rush that until he's restored us first. Because restored people restore people. So he is much more interested in the restoration of your heart and mind and my heart and mind before he wants to put us to task. Because he wants us in his story so that we're living out his story, not just our own good works and our own good deeds. So where you are, would you just close your eyes? At home, pray with us too. Let's make a moment. I know it's different at home, but we can still have a moment. We can share a moment with you that we're sharing in the room. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. I thank you for the love story that is written on every page. Lord, would you cause us to fall in love with your word again? That we wouldn't read it out of chore and obligation or avoid it because we don't know where to start. But Lord, would we fall in love with your word again? And Holy Spirit, when we read your word, would you bring it alive? Because it's living, it's dynamic. Would you help us see you, Jesus? Even in the Old Testament, help us see you, Jesus. Help us understand the Father heart when we read the pages. Restore us, Lord. Lord, I want to pray for those people who feel crushed. Lord, would you restore those who feel crushed? Those who, Life has been really difficult. The challenges have been really real. The loss has been really immense. Lord, would you restore the crushed? Comfort the morning, restore the crushed. And Lord, for those who feel overwhelmed, who are afraid of the consequences of what's going on nationally and internationally, as well as more locally. Lord, who are afraid, would you give us courage, bold, confident, audacious courage? Not that we're conjuring it up, Lord, but that we're releasing you to be you because we're standing in your story. 
Lord, I thank you. You have seen what we do and heal us anyway. Lord, I pray that today there would be a fresh revelation of forgiveness for everything. Every moment we've fallen short. Every word or thought or action that wasn't in line with you, Lord. We want to bring that with repentant, humble hearts and allow your forgiveness to restore us. Be sovereign, Lord. Be sovereign, Lord. We're going to sing. We'll pray some more again in a minute, no doubt, but we're going to sing the song. And I want to encourage you, when you feel ready, do stand if it helps. Kneel if it helps. Sit if it helps. Do whatever will help you connect with Jesus personally personally so that you can look intently and if you're struggling to think I don't know how to do that Helen I genuinely don't know how to look at Jesus intently then here's what I want to encourage you to do is to say Jesus I am looking show me you Jesus I'm looking show me you and then allow him to reveal himself as you keep looking towards them. And if your mind suddenly goes off on one and you're suddenly thinking about what's for dinner or what's the week going to be like, just grab that thought, take it captive and bring it back. No, I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm looking for Jesus. Jesus, show me you.